Picture this. You finished your first book and nailed it. The plot, the characters, all the twists and turns. This one's a winner, and all you need is the right cover. If you've got my art skills, this is the part where panic usually sets in. Enter the cover villain. Hero to writers everywhere. Founded by noted author Remy Flagg, Cover Villain focuses on composite image covers for science fiction and fantasy writers. Give them the details, and they'll craft a cover using popular trends that everyone will want to see. But wait, you say, I've got ideas of my own. No problem, as Cover Villain loves a good collaboration. As they say, our goal is to put a little villain in every cover we make. Want to know more? Then head to CoverVillain.com and follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Citywide Blackout, your home for the best creators from around the world. And I'm your host, Max Bowen. Fans of our four-legged friends won't want to miss this one. Author and dog trainer Victoria Shade recently released her new book, Dog Friendly, a story with amazing depth and thoughtful characters. This book required a lot of research into the lives of veterinarians, and Victoria shares what she's learned. She's even heard from the experts and talks about that feedback. Victoria's books have run the gamut from animal care to fiction, and we talk about that transition and what it was like. We look at the sources of the ideas for her various fiction stories and how they're developed from concept to finished work. And this episode, folks, well, if you're a dog lover, this is your episode. You can skip everything else I've, I've ever done. This is your episode right here because I'm talking all about dogs in books, my next guest is author and dog trainer Victoria Shade. We're talking about, about her recently released book, Dog Friendly. Six books in, four fiction, two on dog training. There's a lot to cover. And Victoria, welcome to the show. It is so cool to have you here. Max, I am super excited to chat with you. you uh, you've covered some really great stuff in past shows, so I'm honored to be here. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Now, we're going to dive, of course, into the story of the new book. But I want to ask, being six books in... Does this get any easier? <laughs> does it get easier? Um, it it doesn't, and I don't want to dissuade any potential authors out there. And and let me also say that I'm not one of these writers where it's like, oh, the torture of writing, you know, I, the pain that I bleed onto the page. I'm not like that at all. I love writing, but it's. I think you get more in your head as you develop an audience, you know, I, I know what expectations are from readers and I want to make sure I meet them. So like the, the craft and the art of the writing is still a joy, but there's, uh, there are layers to it, the more you write. And, and definitely a lot of layers to, uh, to your books too, because as we talked about prior to this recording, you might think, oh, this is a very like lighthearted, like Hallmark-esque kind of story. And you're reading like, oh, no, this is a little much for them. Maybe this is Hulu thing or this is like a Netflix thing. Yeah, calling all um, potential production companies. I'm ready for an option. Let's go. Exactly, no. <laughs> exactly. The, 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 my latest book, Dog Friendly, definitely deals with some, some deeper and heavier themes because it talks about veterinary compassion fatigue which is so prevalent in the veterinary community right now. But I wrap it up in you know, this Nantucket-based, happily ever after love story. So you get a little bit of both. You get the salty and the sweet in the same story. Yeah. And you have the, and, uh, and you have the adorable photo of two dogs playing with the same stick on the cover. I mean, you can't lose. 
Well, and that's the uh, the branch manager and the assistant branch manager. You ah. heard that joke there because they're both going um. onto the branch. Silly, yeah. But um, she's here all night, folks. She's here all night. Actually, I, I do want to ask that though. How do you package a book like this, where, like you said, you deal with some really like serious issues, but it, it is also kind of a more like lighthearted fare? Because we lean on the lighthearted for sure. I mean, with dogs, it's kind of a no-brainer. Obviously, we know dogs are going to go on the cover, um, but this book in particular, because it's set on Nantucket. There are so many evocative aspects of that island that we could have gone to. So dogs were the no-brainer, but, you know, there's beaches, there's lighthouses, hydrangeas, gray-shingled homes. So there were a lot of choices for us as we were putting this cover together, and I feel like we knocked it out of the park with this one. Excellent, excellent. All right, so walk us through the plot of Dog Friendly. So Dog Friendly is about a veterinarian named Dr. Morgan Pierce, who is an overachiever, perfectionist, like most veterinarians. And she, she suffers um, kind of a crisis. And she realizes that she's been dealing with some demons. She's been dealing with this veterinary compassion fatigue. And if she isn't able to step away from her everyday life, then she could be in trouble. So she is luckily given this wonderful opportunity to escape to Nantucket for the summer with um, some patients that have a home there and who have a senior dog who's in need of some, some care during the summer. So she decides that she's going to go for it. And while she's there, you know, with a, a love story, she meets a, a handsome guy and she gets roped into fostering this challenging um, foster dog who is leash reactive. And while, you know, while there, all of these hijinks go on and she, well, I guess it's a question. Does she learn to deal with what she's going through? Uh, does she find love forever? Is it a happily ever after for both ends of the leash? You have to read and find out. Exactly. I want to back up a little bit and, and um, ask about uh, veterinary compassion fatigue, because I never heard of that before. What is it and what role does it play in the story? That's uh, it's super important, I think, to get the word out. And that was part of my goal with this book is not only entertaining, but also educating a little because pet parents, unfortunately, contribute to veterinary compassion fatigue. And this is where we get to the, the, the heavier themes of the book. Um, compassion fatigue is when a professional is pushed to the point where they feel like they they can't continue. And a lot of people will say, well, that's, you know, that's burnout. Well, every profession has that, but it's different. Burnout comes from where you work. Compassion fatigue comes from the work you do. So with burnout, you could go take a vacation, take, you know, a week off and you come back and you're probably okay versus compassion fatigue is so all encompassing and so overwhelming that you really need support to get through it. And because the profession, because veterinarians are overachiever perfectionists that might not want to face the fact that they can use some outside help, it's really difficult for veterinarians to get through it. And there's a wonderful organization called Not One More Vet that is working with veterinarians to help them face compassion fatigue. It's providing resources so they can get through it because the unfortunate super dark part of compassion fatigue is that veterinarians have 
three times, they're three times more likely to die by suicide than any other profession. Yeah, and pet parents don't really recognize that fact. So there are little lessons woven throughout the book of how to be a better patient to make your veterinarian's life a little bit easier or a lot easier. Wow. I honestly had no idea because I always thought like veterinarian was a fair, not an easy job, obviously. I had no idea that this whole condition existed. Well, and I'm, I'm really glad that I'm helping to spread the word. Um, the profession itself is challenging because they do deal with unfortunate outcomes. You know, euthanasia often comes up like, oh gosh, it must be so hard. But the assumption is the rest of the job is a cakewalk when in fact it's physical, it's dirty, it's uh, demanding. And, and keep in mind too, veterinarians treat every part of the dog from the nails to the teeth, to the eyes, to the ears. Like they know everything yet. Often pet parents will say things like, Dr. Google said I should do this. Or, you know, if I, if I rub some coconut oil on, it should be okay. Versus taking the advice of this professional who spent how many years in school and how many thousands of dollars getting educated. So that's, that's another challenge of the profession is not being trusted and believed mm -hmm. despite their expertise. Yeah, they only spent like a bajillion years in medical school to to uh, to uh, get here. Let's not listen to them. Let's let's listen to Aunt Flo on Facebook because she always ha always has the answers. Oh, I you know it's so frustrating for them, I'm sure. And, and then to to maintain your kindly, I can't say bedside manner, but tableside manner. You know, you have to be a professional despite all of these challenges. Mm -hmm. Do you explore similar issues in your other fiction books? There are always messages woven in, you know, it's whether it's in my first book, um, science based training, you know, dog friendly training is super important. Uh, pit bull advocacy. I am a huge pit bull lover. So that's book one, book two. Um, gosh, we talked about we me and the mouse in my pocket. Me uh, talked about people who are unsure around dogs and learning how to, how to relate to dogs and learning about body language. You know, as a trainer, I always weave in my background, you know, talking about behavioral stuff, talking about basic training stuff. So every book is going to have real life kind of news you can use woven in with the fun fiction. Hmm. You know, reading the books, I definitely got the wrong impression. I was, I, you know, I thought these were very like lighthearted romps, very like, just very like upbeat, happy stories. But obviously, they're dealing with the very some very serious issues here. So they think, huh? I thought this was X, and now it's Y. You know, it's this book in particular, dog friendly, is is the heaviest topic out of all of them. And I will say that I kind of swing the pendulum. So the first book was very fun and light. You know, life on the leash. Second book. A little heavier because we had some family issues at work there. That's who rescued who. Then I swung back with Lost, Found, and Forever, which is a pretty straightforward rom-com, you know, fun, very lighthearted. I don't want readers to think that, like, these are so heavy that they're going to be downers or depressing. And let me just also say nothing happens to the dogs in any of my book. That's a super common question. You know, does the dog die? No, the dog never dies in my books. Um but with this book in particular, with Dog Friendly, it's funny, I'm getting different feedback. Like some people will say, oh, light, fun, beach read. And other people will say, 
wow, it was kind of heavy. There were some, some heavier themes. So I, like anything, I guess it depends on where you're coming from. You know, what, what your experience is will inform what you take from it. I feel like there's a strategy here. You kind of like lure them in with a really like cute like dog cover, and then you surprise them and and uh, make them think. I hope so. Yeah, I mean that's a compliment. That's that's the goal. Is I want to entertain you, but I also want to give you some some nuggets of information in there. Mm. You know, you'll you'll learn something. All right. Well, I want to learn a little more about the characters. We mentioned Morgan Pierce, who is like the main character in the story. Opposite her is Nathan Keating. He's this irresistible entrepreneur who uh, who thinks every problem can be solved on a surfboard. That's a great description, actually. How did these two get along initially? Well, it's kind of uh, this instant attraction, which I think that's that's true. Like if you're out there looking for love, I mean, he's a very handsome guy and he's very personable, whereas she's a little more reserved and kind of disbelieving like, this super hot guy is interested in little old me. Um, yeah, so it's there's a dance where she kind of has to figure out if he's for real because he is so good looking that it's almost like I don't I don't trust this guy. So that's part of the dance as they as they work their way towards their first date and then you know is this for real? Um, but he's he's just such a special person and he. Um, yeah, he's, he's able to convince Morgan to kind of let her hair down and have some fun and hop on a surfboard for the first time, even though maybe she has a little trepidation about the ocean. No spoiler. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's just a fun give and take as they make their way to wherever they end up. Again, no spoilers. Exactly. No spoilers. No spoilers. And the story has some twists and turns because you also add in a visit from Morgan's estranged brother and then her discovery of who Nathan really is, which that got me thinking. But do you plan the books out? Do you have to kind of carefully outline them? I wish I did. So I'm sure you've heard in the world of writing, there are answers and plotters. If I were, um, if I were, more true to what I was doing, I would plot everything out. I'm a, I'm a, someone called me a planter. So I have a definite idea of where the story's going, but I don't outline it and I don't do every chapter. I wish I could, I have tried. It's just not possible for me. So I just do my best knowing the beats of the story, like where we're headed. And I think there's some magic in letting the story reveal itself and the characters reveal their motivations and where they want to be, even though that sounds woo-woo. Um, yeah, I, that's part of the fun of the journey of writing the book is the discovery. So, yeah. Writing is its own form of magic because you are literally creating a world and people and events. So it shouldn't be surprised that sometimes it'll take some weird twists. Um, that leads to my next question, though. Have you ever had something occur where a story took a direction that you just did not think was going to happen? You know, sometimes I wouldn't say that I something I didn't know was going to happen, but sometimes I will write something or I will, you know, mention a character. And I'm like, there's a reason why I mentioned that person. I don't know what it is yet, but they're going to resurface, you know, just in the telling, like, oh, let's mention so and so. And they'll, they'll stick in the back of my mind. And then sure enough, I'm like, oh, that's why they're here. That's why they jo they join this party. Mm. So, yeah. And then, you know, the beginning of the book in terms of like editing, the, the opening of this book was so much 
heavier than it is. And I don't know if you remember the first line, but it, it talks about um, nipple confusion in dogs because a lot of people think that male dogs' nipples are ticks. That's a really common issue, a common reason why people go into the vet. They're like, oh my gosh, there are ticks all over my dog's belly when they're, they're nipples. So it's a pretty light beginning to the story now versus when I first wrote it, it was so much heavier. And I'm really glad that I moved away from that and embraced nipple confusion. Two words that have never been uttered in a single sentence on the show. Well done. Well, there's a first for everything. Exactly. Um, I want to ask a little more about, about Nathan. What is his role in the story? Is he meant to be sort of a foil for Morgan? Is he meant to be her companion on her journey? He's definitely her companion on her journey. And more importantly, he's a potential love interest. Mm. You know, she's closed herself off from relationships. And that's a that's one of the indicators of compassion fatigue is when people withdraw and turn into themselves instead of connecting with people out in the world. And that's where she is at the beginning of the story. And once she starts realizing that she needs to be more open to relationships and people and, and being more open just with herself and how she reveals herself, um, he's, he's there for that. Hmm. How does Morgan come to be in the state that she's in? Is it one singular incident or is it more just the, the grind of the job? It's both actually. The grind of the job has has had a really tough impact on her, but there is an incident that basically is the inciting moment for her feeling like this is it. Like I need to make a change. Okay. But again, no spoiler. Exactly. Yeah. We have to keep saying that. No spoilers. Read the book, folks. Which I think is such <laughs> yes, a hard thing to do to not give away, you know, an ending or or, or like a critical plot point. You get talking about the book and then, and then before you know it, boom, the ending's been given away. I, I've never given away an ending, but I have come so close on past books where I'm talking, talking, talking. I'm like, oh, you just mentioned something you weren't supposed to. And the hope is that it doesn't register with the right, reader. But right. yeah, so now I am super cautious. Oh, bad. Yeah. You never want to get that publisher call saying, so I heard your interview about the book. <laughs> you gave away the whole thing. Oh, God. I hope that never happens. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, I'm curious about the... Everything about this book, the setting, the circumstances, the people, any of that come from real life? Well, the setting definitely did. So it's set on Nantucket, and my family has gone for over 20 years. My parents have gone for 30. I think I've gone 24, 25. So it's a place that's very near and dear to my heart. And all of my books have either been born on Nantucket or developed, you know, written in the coffee shop there. But I started this book during the pandemic, so I was unable to go. And I felt like, you know, when I was casting about trying to figure out what my story was going to be, I'm like, well, I can't be in Nantucket to, you know, to bless the book by starting or writing it there. But why don't I just write it about Nantucket? So that it made so much sense because it's such an incredible place and it, there's it's just rich for storytelling. And yeah, I loved being able to visit Nantucket as I wrote the book. What's it like writing a book like this during a time period where 
everything was just darkness. It was it was a wonderful companion to be able to lose myself in the pages. And it was kind of a mini vacation because as I was writing, you know, I want to be as true to the location as I can be. And not being able to go, I had to do so much research. Like if I had been there, I could have said like, oh, the, you know, at the Cisco brewery, there are um, cobblestones on the ground or what pavers. I wasn't able to do that. And I wanted to be true to the setting. So YouTube, I watch so many Nantucket YouTube videos because even though I've been there so much, the minutia of the place is so hard to recall. So whether it was what the back of the ferry looks like or what, you know, flooring, street names, all of that was just, YouTube was a huge help since I couldn't actually be there. Mm. Did you have to do any other research um, in particular with what Morgan's dealing with? Oh my gosh, I did so much research and it's one of my favorite parts of writing, um, partially because it's a great way to procrastinate, but also because it's, you know, I love learning and as challenging as it was learning about what our veterinarians go through, it really helped inform the story. So the way that I researched, I started with most writers' favorite tool, stalking. You know, did lots of online stalking of, of veterinarians. Uh, I found a, a, veter- a few veterinary resources that were by vets for vets where I felt like I was seeing things I wasn't supposed to. You know, as, as a non-vet, when I'm reading this, I'm like, this is not meant for me. But, you know, it was, it was online. It was out there. So I took advantage of it. I also spoke with two very seasoned veterinarians who were able to not only address the challenges of the career, but also they had come out the other side. You know, they were able to see the sunshine of what they do. And yes, they, they have challenges, but they had done their time in the trenches and they recognized that how to get through it. So they were wonderful voices for me. I had one, one veterinarian in particular, I, pinged her so many times with the most ridiculous questions. Like, you know, what do you guys call each other when you're in the office? Do you call each other doctor? Do you call each other by your first name? So she provided all that information. And then additionally, because there is therapy on the page, I talked to um, a veterinary um, social worker to get more information. And I talked to a therapist about the language of therapy and, you know, everything from how to recognize compassion fatigue in a veterinarian to how to help someone who's in this this moment of crisis and it was just fascinating it sounds like you did a lot of world building before you actually wrote the book i did yeah and again it's it's such a fun part of it it's yeah it it uh, hopefully it translates i mean people have said after reading it that they feel like they they were there in nantucket or they want to go because they've never been and they feel like they have a better understanding have you heard back from any uh, any uh, veterinarians about this? I have. So I did a, a mailing to veterinarians prior to the book coming out. I think I mailed out 15 copies and just wanted to, you know, see what they thought. And the feedback was really lovely. Uh, you know, some of them have said, I felt seen. I cried. Um Every pet parent needs to read this. Like it's, it was really, really so special and important to me because that's exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to accurately portray what they go through and not make it like, 
oh, I'm a vet and I play with kittens and puppies all day. Like that's that's the typical perception or you know the way it's portrayed in media. And I wanted to do them justice and and help their voices be heard. And it sounds like based on their feedback, I was able to do that. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Wow. I think it's really good that you got that reaction from uh, the vets as well, too, that they that they obviously felt this was like well done and well put together. Yeah. And, and not just the vets. I mean, let's talk about the support staff in the veterinary clinics as well. You know, the front desk, they're the front lines, the uh, the vet techs who were there taking temperatures and, you know, giving vaccinations. They they also deal with a lot of the stress of the profession. And I've, I've had a few of them reach out to me and say as well that they feel acknowledged and respected. And, and it's just it's been really lovely getting that response. But again, all this heaviness wrapped up in a beach read. So we, we've got both. Exactly. Exactly. I want to ask about the dog in this book. As as you mentioned earlier, this is a senior dog, and Morgan is basically taking care of them. What role do they play in the book, though? The dogs are so, so important in the book. And, and another wonderful compliment I've gotten is that the dogs are fully realized characters, which if you're a pet parent and you have a dog, you know that that dog has a very unique personality. So I strive to do that with my canine characters. It's not just a, you know, cute panting tail wagger. Like they, they play a role in the story. So in the case of Morgan's foster dog, Hudson, he is leash reactive, which what does that mean? It means anytime he sees another living being, he barks his head off and loses his mind. And it's super embarrassing. Uh, you know, any of your listeners have that kind of dog. They, they feel that pain. Oh, yes. All right. Yeah, you get it. Well, there are tips in the book for uh, leash reactive dogs. Um, so, yeah, he's he's a project. And she wasn't sure that she wanted to take him on because she was supposed to be in Nantucket relaxing, finding her groove again. and. She couldn't say no, and that's another part of the the veterinarian personality type, but this adorable dog who needed her help, and she was uniquely qualified to give it to him, so she took him on, and they grew together. Nice, nice. He's not the only dog, though. There are always lots of dogs in my book. Nathan has a dog. Her friend has a dog. So, yeah, there's plenty of canine characters. Do you feel like this is one of the more unique aspects of your books? The dogs are characters and not just like window dressing. I feel like it it sets me apart and partially because of my background as a trainer, I feel like it gives me unique insight into temperament, behavior, reactions. And I think that it enables me to paint a pretty realistic picture. You know, people have said, oh, do the dogs talk or like, are we in the dog's head? And that's not the case at all. You know, it's it's a it's a dog like a dog in your life or a dog in my life. They're they're there on the journey contributing as dogs do. Although uh, this could be something for the next book. Talking dogs. Yeah, maybe. You never know. <laughs> hey, maybe I should do a children's book with talking dogs. There you go. There you go. You heard it here first. There we go. I like that. I like that. Now, I love to talk about the editing process because I know that is obviously uh, such a crucial thing. So much can get left out or even even added in. How did the editing process change this book? Changed it a lot. So as I mentioned, the opening was much heavier. And I thank 
whoever for the intervention that my agent and editor gave me saying, okay, let's talk about this. Let's talk about it. Let's really talk about it. Because normally I'm totally open to, to editing, but for some reason I was so married to this, this opening. And I finally realized that, you know, this could potentially alienate readers to, to come at, come at it from this point. So I was so happy and, and I am continuing to be so thrilled with the direction that we took for the opening of the book. And, you know, the rest of the editing, I love. I love being edited. I am open to it. I feel like it makes a story stronger. I love having extra eyes on my work. So aside from that little hiccup of me being kind of a, a bump on a log about the opening, uh, I was totally open and willing and happy for the feedback. Okay. All right. Talking about your previous books, and now you've and now you've done um, three other fiction titles, two on dog training. But I want to focus on the fiction stories for now. Okay. Uh, these all seem, to my perspective, to have, to have very strong lead characters. Uh, they're either entrepreneurs or doctors. You know, these are folks who really have their lives together. How do you create a strong leading character, but one that can be relatable to the readers? I think. Um, the strength is always tempered by foibles, like we all have, you know, we all have our little things that make us us, that make us lovable in our own way. And I hope that that comes through in my characters, you know, whether it's someone who you think is a little standoffish, perhaps, and oh, gosh, how could she not like like dogs? But then when you realize why she is the way she is. It gives you more sympathy or empathy for her as a character. So that would be my character from Who Rescued Who. Uh, in Life on the Leash, you know, she's an entrepreneur. She's a dog trainer. But she doesn't have a ton of confidence in herself. So that's part of her journey as well is, you know, she's great with the dogs and great with her clients. But everywhere else in her life, she could use uh, kind of a kick in the pants. So that's part of her journey as well. Um, and with Morgan, you know, we've talked about where she is, her strengths and her weaknesses. And who am I forgetting? Oh, Justine from Lost, Found, and Forever. She, um, she also, she's trying to find her place in life. She, she settled somewhere where she's not completely happy and she's looking for what's next. And I think a lot of us can identify with that, especially now, you know, as we're all reassessing our lives and where we are post whatever, are we post? Um, yeah, trying to figure out what's next and where she fits and, and what's going to bring her the most joy out of life. Do the dogs in these books play a similar role to Hudson? Always. Yes, they are always the, the companion, the steadfast companion, the heartbeat at their feet. That's not to say that they're perfect. Um, uh, you know, my dogs, I'm a dog trainer. My dogs are so far from perfect. Oh, my gosh. And that's, that's true of a lot of the dogs in the book. I mean, maybe like behaviorally, they're not perfect, but the heart and soul of the dog, yes, there always are. Okay. Let's talk story ideas here because past books, you have um, a romantic triangle, a brief stay in England um, that becomes long-term thanks to an abandoned puppy, and even a competition as to who is the better dog owner. These are some really cool ideas. Uh, where do they come from and what work goes into building on them? Where do they come from? Oh, gosh. They spring from my head like Athena. Like, I, I, 
I don't know. They just kind of truly, they, each one presents itself. Like I'm, I'm working on my next book, which will be out uh, October of 2023. And I had a kernel of a story and that just, you know, keeps growing and growing and growing. And even as I'm working on this one, I think I have the kernel for the next story. So it's, I wish it was like, you know, I had a bolt of lightning moment, but they just kind of, I think that's the word for me, reveal. It just, the story reveals itself and I love to follow it. Now, is there like a cutting room floor full of like abandoned story ideas? No. Really? Wow. No, No, they, they, I'm lucky. And maybe that's why I, I so value these kernels that appear is they have legs. You know, I feel like once they get to the point where I am ready to write about them, they're, they're, they're going to happen. I should not would. I am a little superstitious. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cursing myself. The fates are like, just you wait. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like from now on, you're just going to have like garbage ideas. Like now this is terrible. I can't write it. You'll, you'll never publish another book again. All because I blame of you, me. Max. I'm coming for you if that Man. happens. Wouldn't be the first person I've cursed. Won't be the last, I guess. Um, <laughs> Maybe we should rethink this podcast. There you go. There you go. Um, but, but but that really surprises me because usually there is like a cutting room floor where it's like, oh, where, where there's like 20 ideas that just went nowhere. So how do you know when an idea has those legs? It's my reaction to it as I go through the initial stages. I mean, I won't say there are zero ideas. I had a couple, but you know, I didn't really pursue them beyond just the the pitch, basically. Um, but I likened my first book to when I would sit down to write, I felt like I was hanging out with a boyfriend. I was always so excited to get to him it, uh, to see what adventures we were going to have together. So when I have that level of excitement and anticipation to work, then I know it's got legs. And something that doesn't always happen right away. You know, it's not like from page one, I'm like, woohoo, we're in love. But I get there. I want to ask about making the jump from writing your dog training to working in, in fiction. How did this happen? Did these two kinds of books sort of go side by side? It's funny. So I, I felt like I had this book I had to write when I was training, and it was called Bonding with Your Dog. Just totally pushed, you know, internally, I have to get this on the page. And as I started writing, I realized, wow, you know, I've written my whole life, but it was my first book. And I realized that the how-to aspect is so challenging because it has to be perfect. If someone is going to try and replicate what I'm writing to train their dog, it better be perfect, flawless. But as I was writing that and struggling and really having a hard time, I was writing little vignettes that accompanied each part of the training. So, you know, if I were talking about coming when called, there would be a story of a client that went along with it. And as I worked on those, I thought this part's super fun. You know, this is fiction and I really love it. And it's, that's what I look forward to doing. So that whole idea coupled with the fact that when I was training, I was doing private in-home training. So I would go into my clients' homes And as you can imagine, every time you step through that door, you have a completely new story unfolding in front of you. So there was so much fodder in what I was doing. So that combination of me enjoying the fiction part of of nonfiction, 
And what I was doing day in, day out, I, I realized, like, I think I want to try and write a novel. And that's where Life on the Leash came from. You know, it's based on my experiences as a, as a dog trainer going into people's homes. That's a great premise. That's a great premise. <laughs> All the time is well, going into people's homes. You know, talk about talk about doing a series. It's so ripe for a series because each week you could have like a new new story in a new person's home. Ooh, the dog trainer mysteries. Nobody dies though. Keep that in mind. Well, nobody dies, so you know. Well, you know that's that's okay. Uh, Hallmark did a whole like mystery series. No one died. Oh, though. that's was... true. You're right. You're right. Okay, you're right. Yeah, it's a premise here. It could work. It worked. Hallmark, <laughs> if you're listening, guys, this is this is the one you talk. want to pick up. This is the person you want. Talk, baby. There you go. There you go. Um, how about your dog treating experience? How did this help you as a writer? Um, I think, I mean, it definitely, like I said, it informs the canine characters. And I think it's less about the, the training itself, but more about the entrepreneurial side of the position. You know, I worked for myself. I built a business from the ground up that, you know, did pretty well. With that ability to, um, I held myself accountable, also enabled me to write my first novel. You know, even though there was no, I didn't have an agent or an editor saying, hey, where's the book? Where's the work? book? I still knew that I had to get it done. So I think it's just that that drive to hold yourself accountable is the overarching theme between both of those parts of my career. Are you good at that, holding yourself accountable? <laughs> Yeah, I kind of am. Yeah, I, I am. I feel like I have no choice. You know, when I started dog training, I went from a very typical corporate, you know, college to corporate America career path. And when I walked away from it, I mean, I was in a, a pretty high paying tech job during the tech boom in Northern Virginia, which is like a hub and said, hey, everyone, I'm quitting my job and I'm going to be a dog trainer. I had to succeed because it was so bizarre. This is 20 years ago. No one was training dogs for a profession. And I, you know, had left this wonderful career and I was college educated. So my parents were like, what are you doing? So I had no choice but to make it work. So, yeah, I definitely that's that's kind of running through my blood is holding myself accountable. Hmm. And you also written prior to doing these books. You did a number of, of um, articles and columns over the years. You worked out with Animal Planet, which I love. I think I saw that you worked as like the puppy wrangler for the puppy bowl for, uh, for yeah. Animal Planet. I would love to have that job. Jeez, sign me up for that. It's, that is my favorite week of the year, and it's coming up in October. That's spoiler, guys. Puppy bowl is not live. Oh, Everyone my thinks- God. <laughs> we are just shattering so many preconceptions about this. I know, I know. And I always say when people are like, it's not live. I'm like, think about how often puppies go to the bathroom. Just picture what that field would look like after 45 minutes. So, yeah. It's my, <laughs> that Hey, it's part of the job. Exactly. So, yeah, Puppy puppy Bowl, this will be my 17th year working on the show. And, you know, in addition to that, like you mentioned, I, I write for a variety of pet-centric websites, doing um, how-to articles. So you could say dogs are my life. Dogs are my brand. Yeah, definitely. How about going from writing articles to writing books? Like, was this just a night and day situation? It really was because, I mean, I guess going from articles, how-to articles to a how-to book wasn't that big of a leap. 
but I really don't know of a lot of parallels between writing how-to articles and going to, you know, novel writing. I guess it maybe the accountability was, you know, that part that is the, is similar feeling having deadlines. I was very used to writing on a deadline, so that helps. Do you have beta readers? Because I would love to know what they say about your books. Oh my god, uh, I do, especially for dog friendly. I thought it was really important that I have a veterinarian read it and bless it. So one of the ones that I, I worked with was so generous with her time and she read it. So yeah, I think beta readers are super important. However, sometimes if a writer procrastinates and she's pushing her limits on getting things in on time, she doesn't have the luxury of beta readers. Although I don't know who I could be referring to. Can't imagine who that person is. No, the per- not the person who said she was holding herself accountable and so good about writing on deadlines. Right, exactly. <laughs> Do you set deadlines, though, especially for a fiction book where, you know, creativity can be challenging sometimes? Well, I have deadlines from my publisher. Um, and I have in the past had like word count per day. But right now, you know, I've, I've always prided myself on never having um, writer's block and I will cop to having some some writer's block with this one that I'm working on now. I was actually away last week and I had a day in a hotel where I'm like, there's no dogs, no interruptions, no dishes in the sink. I'm going to get so many words down. The muse was not with me that day. Oh, it was heartbreaking. So, yeah, I, you know, at this point, I just am. I'm working through it, and I had a great writing day today, so you never know. It's always the days when you think you're going to be so productive, then two hours later, still staring at a blank screen, wondering, dear God, why am I doing this? No, I'm worse than, I don't even look at the blank screen. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go check out Reddit. Let me, <laughs> let me go look at BuzzFeed. What's happening over there? It, oh, it's so bad. There's your mistake right there. It's the, the black yeah. holes, basically. The black Oof. holes. But it's research. Uh, yeah, it's research. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the new book. You mentioned earlier, October of 2023. Can you give us any hints? I can. So it's uh, it's a Christmas novel officially, but I'm kind of pushing it because I'm including all of the holidays from Halloween all the way to New Year's Eve, because don't we love them all? Why just settle for Christmas? Let's get all of the fun in there. So we get Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's Eve. Um, it's a, it's an enemies to lovers story. Two people that have a history together um, who don't like each other at all wind up in the same business complex as neighbors. And um, there's some there's some dog training. There's some personal training. You know, swapping skill sets. And I'm having a really good time with it. Do you have a title? Oh my gosh, this is. The toughest thing for me. So I love all of my titles. I'm so lucky that I'm really, really happy with all of them. So the pressure is on each time. And for this one, I've done Venn diagrams. I had I got an AI bot to try and name this book. And the name it came up with was Kibbles and Bitches. Uh, right? And it's something like a, a holiday Christmas romance, Kibbles and Bitches. I'm like, nope, that's not going to work. And so I bought you is, failed me. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, I'm desperate, basically. I have an idea. So my my 
editor asked for my ideas and I gave her a list. But the challenge with this book is it's got a lot of stuff going on, hence the Venn diagram. So we have romance, we have dogs, always in both of my books, holidays. And I'm avoiding anything that's like Santa Paws or like super cutesy puns. So how do I convey all of those things? So I have a title that at first I was like, I'm not sure. But the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I, I'm kind of liking it. So I'm waiting for feedback. Okay. Titles are the hardest part of any book because you've got like four words to sum up 400 pages. Some of them are so good. They're so evocative. And I'm like, I'm jealous. That is the perfect title. And I honestly, I feel like dog friendly is a pretty perfect title because Nantucket is super dog friendly and the dog in the book is not dog friendly. So there's a lot of layers to it. Mm. Like I said, the pressure's on for this next one. Oh, well, I look, I look forward to reading that title and also reading the rest of the book. Uh, but Victoria, sadly, we have to bring this thing to a close. This has been so much fun, Max, and so, like, thought-provoking. I know, right? In the meantime, folks, you can definitely uh, check out more at victoriashade.com. That's S-C-H-A-D-E.com. Of course, all the books are there. You can find them on Amazon, your local bookstore, ebook, print. However you do it, make sure you do it. And, Victoria, definitely looking forward to talking about the next book. Oh, Max, I would be honored to come back. This was so much fun. Thank you for having me. Hi, this is singer Kate Eppers, and you're listening to Citywide Blackout. And that'll bring this episode to a close. You can follow the show on Facebook under Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram under Citywide Max. Get at me at citywidemax at yahoo.com and check the show out wherever you find your favorite shows, as well as every Saturday at 10 p.m. on Boston Free Radio. That's all for now, and I'll see you next time.